What's happening? Cardinal Nation, it's your boy, CO, aka The Professor Owens, with the incomparable Dr. Andrew McCart, coming at you with the Cardinal Call Podcast. This classroom podcast was designed with you in mind. So journey with us as we teach you how to sow seeds in your organization connected to leadership and learning. Join us and our special guests as they share with you some of the top strategies, tips, tools, and tricks that will advance your leadership and learning skills immediately. Also, don't forget to like, subscribe, and download the Cardinal Call podcast so that you can be updated about new podcast episodes and the OLL program here at the illustrious University of Louisville. All right, now that that's out the way, let's head on into the classroom for today's lifelong lesson about leadership and learning. And that's right, we're going to have a little fun too. Come on. Well, thank you, Dr. Owens. I was really, uh, I should have been clear in my question. Where does this podcast find you? Are you in, uh, you in Ohio or are you yes. in uh, Louisville? Or- I am definitely in Ohio right now um, and uh, enjoying this beautiful fall weather. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm in Indiana and uh, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, it is fall weather. It was a cold walk this morning with my Huskies. So <laughs> glad to be here. But uh, so, you are a clinical assistant professor of organizational leadership and learning. Mm-hmm. And um, being that leadership's in your wheelhouse, I, I'll start out here with my first question. And how do you define leadership? I think I'm the best way, because there's so many definitions about leadership out there. Um, the best way I know how to define leadership is not necessarily through a definition. Maybe it's more so through uh, an analogy where I read in a book by Dr. John C. Maxwell, he says that, you know, one, if you've ever read anything by Dr. Maxwell, he says leadership is influence. And I think that's a great way to kind of define it. But I think the best analogy for it is, is that if you're out taking a walk and you turn around and no one's behind you, you're not leading. You're just out taking a walk. So leadership is when you're out there doing what you need to do. And if you turn around, people are behind you, you're a leader. And that's a good way to say it. You have to have uh, followers uh, in order to be a leader. You have to have a, a vision that inspires people and uh, you know gets them to, to be a part of you. Now, you know, when I think about leadership, and it's it's tough. I mean, I, you could almost, as a teacher, it may be easier to tell it as a story for me, and it's uh, easier to take it uh, to really discuss it over a, uh, a long, drawn-out example or something like that. But uh, I think of um, service as another uh, you know, another way of, of thinking about leadership. And, you know, I notice uh, you, you do that as well in your personal life. And mm-hmm. um, as I'm thinking about the next question here, what do you think, who do you think and, and why, um, why do they best exemplify your definition of leadership? Wow. Who best identifies? That's, that's going to get me in trouble if I answer that question. But um, if I start just, throwing out names because I'm going to forget somebody but um, I think um, 
right now, um, and this may be controversial, right? And I get that. But I think a good example of a leader right now in the country is President-elect Joe Biden. I think he's doing a lot of things for minorities. I think he's doing a lot of things for women. I think he's doing a lot of things for um, for a, a lot of people. And so I think if I look at President-elect Joe Biden, I think he's doing a great job, in my opinion, right now um, of exemplifying a leader. Because obviously when he turns around, there's there's a lot of people behind him and he's pulling a lot of people up with him. Well, and, and that's thank you for sharing that. And just for our audience sake, we're recording this uh, just recently after the election results were um, released and discussed. And so you know, some of the rhetoric that Vice President Joe Biden, President-elect Joe Biden is using are coming together, healing the nation, bringing people together, getting on board, uh, reaching across the aisle, things like that, that do um, inspire a vision of connectedness, which is something a lot of people didn't feel like we had over uh, the previous administration. So yeah, that's, uh, I appreciate that. I, and I don't, and this is not, and there's no knock on the previous administration. I think they probably led just in a way, you know, they, I think, um, you know, just what President-elect Joe Biden is doing now, I think um, it definitely um, exemplifies, you know, like you said, that, that I guess that united front, you know, that United States, I think he's made a few um, um, statements that he's not the president of red states or blue states or people that voted for him or didn't vote for him. He's going to be the president of the United States of America. So I, I think he's a great example that I can see of right now. Yeah, well, and that's certainly in the, the national spotlight. So, hey, I appreciate you uh, using that as an example. So a similar question there. What What's your style of leadership? Uh, what do you uh, and maybe you have an example of a project that you've done lately or some initiative that you're involved in? Yeah, I, I consider myself a coaching leader. Um, um, my background a little bit is in athletics, athletic coaching from a head coach, assistant coach, um, defensive coordinator. Um, and so I look at when I'm trying to help people, it, it is about coaching. It's about getting the vision and rallying the troops. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is one is too small a number to do anything great. Um, and so that's also one of my values, you know, team or teamwork. Um, I value a team. I, I think it's hard to do anything by yourself. Um, nor in, in my experience, I don't want to do much of anything by myself. So for me, it's teamwork. It's coaching. My leadership style is definitely coaching. And, you know, you know, I, I'm from the state of Ohio. And, uh, you know, every, anybody from Ohio knows that one of, you know, the famous, you know, Earl Bruce quotes is that, who's a, a football coach at Ohio State, he said, sometimes you got to pat him on the butt, but sometimes you got to kick him in the shins. And I think good coaches know the difference. <laughs> I, I've never heard that. That's a good one, though. Yeah, and I'll say some of the times I've learned the most from leaders or bosses, managers, people that I had in my life was not always when they were uh, nice and lovey-dovey, but sometimes gave me some honest feedback that may have stung a little bit at the time, but uh, allowed me to grow and well, they say the gemstones polished from friction and um, Dave Ramsey. So you mentioned John Maxwell earlier and I've heard Dave Ramsey, uh, who's a talk show personality on personal finance, but he interviewed John Maxwell. And, uh, so they're, they're buddies, I guess, off, off outside the studio too. But he's, he has something where he says to be unclear is to be unkind. And I kind of like that where, you know, so it's kicking you in the shin or, 
patting you on the butt either way, but to, to lack that clarity or to dance around difficult issues, I don't think that really helps anybody grow and it doesn't help the project grow. So I, I appreciate what you're saying there. Yeah. Um, would you say that's the same kind of style that motivates and inspires you to be great? That, um, wow. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I think that's, that's, um, I guess it, it depends, you know, um, because I mean, I think with coaching, there also is a person with leadership. There is also a personality. And so, um, if the personality is more driven towards team and building and getting better, then I'm, I'm 100% there. Um, if the attitude, if the, the characteristic personality is more negative, more demeaning, it can still be coaching, but it's just not going to work for me. Um, and th- those aren't environments that I would quit, but they're definitely environments that I would struggle to, to be in and have struggled to be in. I've got a background in sports and kind of like what you mentioned football earlier. And um, it's amazing to see how different people get motivated and respond to different ones. I'm thinking of a, a boxing team that I was part of whenever I was uh, just it was as a hobby, but they were professionals and amateurs. And some of them, I mean, some, some of the best people on the team would uh, really want to be coddled and be nice. And some of them would just be torn down and, and talked down to and kind of yelled at and, it was interesting how different types of uh, <laughs> styles of leadership work for different people. And then you see this in the workplace as well, where some folks just, uh, they really just want want to know what they need to do and be left alone. Some people need that pat on the head every day. So, yep. Um, yeah, and it's important to take the time to get to know it, wouldn't you say? Yes, definitely. If you don't get to know your team, it's definitely going to be hard to motivate them. I think as a leader, you, you have to not only be, um, the thermostat that controls the temperature of the room, but you also have to be wise enough to be a thermometer to know which each, you know, where each person is in, in that moment, in that day. So let me make sure I got that right. You've got to be the thermostat that that uh, sets the temperature for the room, but you also got to be the thermometer that takes everybody's individual temperature. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. I like that. I mean, and that kind of goes into my next thing. There was a I had a, a leader one time that used a shotgun blast approach and that was it. This is just this kind of this way or the highway. And every Monday you're, uh, you're going to get a ranking of where you're at. And uh, <laughs> half the people are going to be below average just by definition. And I never was great at math, but I knew half, half of you're going to be below average. And that was tough. It was a little tough. It wasn't my style. And, you know, we had a poor manager in, in West Virginia that just had a tough, uh, Mark and he was below average and, and hopefully he got a pat on the head privately <laughs> offline because uh, you see your name at the bottom of the list it can really demotivate you so oh definitely definitely or at least consistently at the bottom of the list you know obviously everybody we know we can't be at the top every time but if it's there all the time then there's obviously maybe there's some psychological problems that come along with that yeah yeah well, good well let me ask you this so in your opinion um how do you think learning takes place? So we're kind of shifting from leadership to learning and possibly the topic of talent development. But 
Uh, let's first talk about how it takes place on an individual level, and then we can talk about on a group level. Yeah, um, you know, I'm a firm believer, again, you know, my coaching background, and, and I rely on practice, right? So I think learning takes place through practice. It's the repetitive, is what I what we would call the EDDs, your everyday drills. It's those things that you do every day that eventually you can do them instinctually, you can do them with somebody around, without somebody around. So I think that learning takes place through habits, rituals, aka practice. You have to practice. If you're not practicing, learning doesn't happen. You may memorize, you might take good notes, but I don't know if you learn. Well, it, it takes something to get it internalized, doesn't it? And yes. uh, I, I like what you said there about habits. I mean, it's uh, it's really, they say, if you tell me what your habits are, then I can tell you who you'll be in five years or 10 years, right? Or what kind of, what, what kind of person you're going to turn out to be because habits, uh, you know, first we make the habits and then the habits make us. Right. You know, there's so many analogies we can say about habits, habits, but the, the first one or another one that I like is they say that it's like a, the very first time we do something, it's like weaving a small thread to it. But then over time it becomes almost an unbreakable habit um, that we just continue to sow ourselves to an activity. And I, I think learning has to be like that, and especially in academia and our, in our industry, um, if you want to stay fresh, I mean, you just you know, stay up to date. You have to have it as a habit. It's for what people pay for tuition. It just no longer works to be writing on the the same textbook you used 20 years ago. And um, you know, it, it's uh, there's one last thing. Then I'll I'll move on here on the the group level of learning. But they say uh, if if a man thinks the same way as he did 20 years ago. Uh, then he's lost 20 years of his life. He hasn't, hasn't grown and evolved and learned new things. So, right. Um, on a group level, so we're you know talking about organizational leadership. How do you, you know, how do you think learning takes place on a group level, and what do you do to what do you recommend to get people involved on a uh, more uh, organizational or small team level for learning? I think it's it's the same way. I think it it, it starts with the, the dreaded. Uh, meetings. I think it starts with meetings. Um, I think you can share in meetings. I think that's where as a team, as an organization, a small team, large group, whatever, I think it starts in those meetings. And I think it starts about the information that is disseminated, how you brainstorm. Does everyone trust each other? What type of conflict can we resolve? How do we navigate muddy waters? How do we navigate tough topics? I think learning on the group level starts with teams, whether I mean with meetings. So whether it's small huddles in the beginning of the day, whether it's hour long meetings, you know, once a week, whether it's your 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 quarterly getaways or whatever, I think it's 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 really just how you're going to build a cohesive unit. And so for me, the way you build it is you have to start working together and collaborating and figuring things out from a systems thinking perspective. One thing I've always said, like I'm not a big fan of hierarchical rankings, one, two, three, four, five. I'm a fan of systems thinking where everything is interdependent on each other. And so if in order for a program, a group, a project to succeed, all hands on deck have to feel like they got skin in the game and that they can, you know, openly discuss things and figure things out. And then that's how learning involved it, it, it is evolved, because I think in my humblest of opinions, that's where trust is built 
And when trust is built, I think, on a team level, that's when the best type of learning can occur. I think so. I think that just a number of things there that you touched on. And first of all, the seeing the team as a system, that's one of my favorite uh, sort of topics and to think about in terms of organizational learning. And uh, Peter Singe, who's the uh, kind of one of the four, foremost thinkers, uh, he's a faculty member at MIT and he may still be, but he may may have retired by now and is, uh, uh, as an international consultant. But he would talk about systems thinking and this idea of you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. And if, they, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And that, <laughs> right. this idea of triangulation and getting other people involved in other points of view. And it's, it's very rare that the, the individual can just solve all the problems and take it to, across the finish line. And, and having the, the team there that can uh, help each other raise to a, a higher level of uh, ability and thinking and bringing their backgrounds together. And um, sort of like we were talking at the very beginning when you ask, when I ask you about defining leadership, and that's this idea of uh, allowing others and being a leader that allows the best and brightest to come forward from each of the people on your team. And, um, and then the second thing that you said I want to mention is on trust. And, and mm-hmm. I may uh, be the smartest person in the room, but if I don't trust that you'll listen without making fun of me or without shutting down my issues or shutting down my ideas or uh, poking holes in the ideas that I have, I, I may just sit there with my arms crossed and not say anything. So well, could you say a little more on developing trust and how do you get people? And, and I see this in our classes as, as you're thinking about that. I, I see it in my class where classes where at week four, it's like everyone is so much smarter than they were at week one. Well, you know, we know that they didn't get a lot smarter in three weeks. They just opened up and they start bringing more of themselves to the table than they did in week one. So how do you establish that trust and get people to open up? Yeah, so I I think you have to have an open communication platform, whatever that is, whatever you're open, whether it's. Um, however, they how, whatever they feel they need to trust, whether that's email, phone calls, FaceTime, Zoom, Team Meets, meet, uh, Microsoft Teams, Google Meets, whatever that platform is, they have to be able to communicate. Because once they feel like they can communicate and be themselves and let their hair down and relax, I think that is what builds trust. I don't have to always act like I'm perfect. You don't always have to see me perfect. Um, and so once we can communicate well, um, and I go back to John Maxwell again. I guess I've just read a lot of his books. He has a book out, Everyone Communicates, But Few People Connect. And that's the truth. I think it's all about that connection because once I connect with you, I feel like I can trust you. And that trust doesn't always have to be, as um, Patrick Lencioni says, it doesn't have to be um, predictive trust, which is long-term trust. Like trust you get over time with you know a spouse or you know children or whatever. Like it, it, it can be... You know, this vulnerability based trust, whereas I'm good at X, I'm not good at Y. Do you accept me for that? Yes or no. And I think once you can get to that level, and I think that's where our students get in a couple of weeks, they just know this is what I'm good at. I'm not good at writing papers. I'm not good at doing these analysis. I'm not good at these big projects, you know, but as the project goes on and they start developing confidence in themselves and we, you know, spoon feed them bit by bit by bit by bit, they develop confidence, they develop trust in the process. And now they begin to open up and tell you and share more about what's going on. So it starts with communication. 
Uh, yeah, I like that again. Uh, really enjoying your input on this and your the way you uh, the way you approach leadership and think about it. And it's so true. Whenever if I have ideas but I don't trust you, I'll keep them to myself, and then you may pass the initiative through. We may vote on it and approve it. But I may drag my feet because I never really expressed my opinions, and I'll I'll be slow to write back, or I'll sort of shuffle it off to somebody else, or do what I can to kind of avoid it, uh, or just do the bare minimum to get through because I I never felt really connected or felt like I could really express myself because uh, there either wasn't a platform for it, the person didn't listen, I didn't trust them, whatever the case may be. Um, but it's it's critical to air those things out in the beginning, um, yeah. and it makes it better, doesn't it? One hundred percent. Well, so Seth Godin, an author I know we both like, um, yes. he says people need less mentors and more heroes. Yes. Well, what do you think he means by that? You know, um, I, I think he really means that you know a mentor. If you get a mentor, I think that's great. If you find somebody that can really invest and invest in you. Just read a book by John Hope Bryant, Up From Nothing. He used the word stake. If you can find someone to really, really stake you, then I think you're good. But I think so many people are, you know, I think everyone's pulling for a lot of times the same mentors. Everyone wants Seth Godin. Everyone wants Gary Vee. Everybody wants, you know, um, Steve Ballmer. Everybody wants, you know, Michael Jordan. Well, guess what? They're one person and they can only let so many people figure it out. I think when you have a hero, if Michael Jordan is my hero of in business and sports and, you know, entrepreneurial endeavors, then what I can say is, what would Mike do in a situation like this? Right? Even though I don't know him, I still, I, I can read all the articles, I can read all the magazines, I can read all the books, I can read all the Seth Godin books, I can read all the John Maxwell books. So I kind of have an idea, maybe an insight to how they would think, at least theoretically. And so then if I have a hero, I can theoretically put myself in their place and say, this is how I think they will respond. This is how I think I need to respond. And I've never had to have a sit down meeting, never had to waste a hundred dollars for 15 minutes of their time or whatever the case may be. So I think heroes um, is what he means by that. I think heroes are probably a more practical way to go. Um, it's a more efficient and maybe even a more effective way. Um, we've all heard of people who've kind of met these, or quote unquote, these superstars. And when they met them, they were total jerks and it just destroyed the whole image. Hmm. So I, de I definitely think it's a way to kind of prevent some of that from happening as well. That, that is and it's um, I was thinking about Michael Jordan over the weekend honestly and um, when he retired from basketball and went into baseball mm -hmm. there's a story out there about him and a, a lot of people were very critical made fun of him uh, they, there was even on the cover of Sports Illustrated at the time that said Michael Jordan's embarrassing baseball <laughs> um, but I heard the other side of that one time in an interview and in a, a feature that maybe ESPN was doing but they were talking about how Michael Jordan rented a one-bedroom condo in Florida, and he'd get up before the sun came up. He'd make himself breakfast, dry. And this was after they'd won what three championships already, I think. Right. And, and uh, his dad had passed away. He needed to step away from basketball, and he. Also, I've got a couple stories here, but I'm you know, thinking about it as a hero here. But what I was thinking about over the weekend. So he would drive himself there. He would do batting practice. He would have team practice. And then he would do batting practice again at the end of the day. And the pitching coach, uh, the batting coach were just sitting there and they were feeding baseballs into the machine. 
he'd say, oh, just a little longer. I think, I think I'm starting to get it. And he would just stay there forever, just continue to work on it. And, um, and the, the interviewer was, and the person putting on the special was saying, gosh, wouldn't it be nice if, uh, uh, if that was the way most people embarrassed other things by putting their heart and soul and working into it and working all day and working into the evening, then going back, going to bed, getting up. And that was all he was living and breathing during spring training that year. And um, the other thing I wanted to say here was when he came back to basketball, he was filming the movie Space Jam. Mm-hmm. This was on the documentary uh, <laughs> that was just on, the, we watched it on 30 for 30 ESPN, and then it came out on Netflix. Um, what was that called? The, the 10-part series on the Bulls? Um, the it, Last Dance. The Last Dance. You're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, we loved that. My wife and I, we watched it. And, uh, but he was filming Space Jam, and he brought in all the best and brightest in the NBA because he, after he came back, he didn't have the conditioning that he needed. And so right. filming a movie was enough, but he was working out before that, working out lunch. And then he would, sometime in his day, he would fit in playing uh, basketball with the hardest and fastest people in the NBA. And that's just the dedication that he has, didn't want to lose. And so anyway, that's that's a way, and I, I can't even remember what I was thinking about it other than I need to read more, I need to write more, I need to study more, I need to be, be better, communicate with my students, you know. that's. I wish I'd pick somebody easier to compare myself against, but uh, Michael Jordan's a good hero to, to compare. So as I got a little bit off on a tangent there, but thanks for listening. No, that's great. I mean, I think it's true. I think it's, it, that's what, because I think at the end of the day, um, when you're intrinsically motivated, you, you're probably always looking for something to aspire to be anyway, or someone to look at or something to take your, your profession to the next level. So I think, you know, in that situation, looking at a Michael Jordan is, is a great thing. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we, there's another hero in our community, uh, Neely Bendapudi, who's the, the yes. president of U of L. Just uh, I saw over the weekend was voted as the the uh, number one CEO in Louisville. And, yes. Um, uh, she's just done a great job coming in here and inspiring people with a vision. Uh, great place to work. Great place to learn. Great place to invest. And. Um, it's it really is something to be a part of the, the University of Louisville right now. Oh, um, I have no doubt. I mean, I'm, I'm brand new kind of to it all, but I can definitely seal it, feel it, and sense it. Feel it. I think I made that word up. It's, like a, it's, combination a, it's a good feeling. combination. Yeah, it's a good measure of the best quality. You know, but I, I think that's it. I think it's a, I, I think this is definitely by far, hands down, you know, uh, in my in my short lived academic career, it's it's one of the best places I've ever been. Well, uh, it's uh, and we can maybe talk more about that. And uh, she's a great podcast guest, by the way. I've heard her on some podcasts. But uh, well, let me ask you another question on learning. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a shift here, but so our world is um, just very much data driven, data collection, uh, algorithmic. There's a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of data, but not always a lot of meaningful data. Um, how do you think we can use this, the, the rise of big and small and all kinds of data, how can we use this to assess learning either in industry or in academia? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that, um, you know, I've always looked at this, um, having the analytics are nothing more than a great tool to assist in our decision making. I think for a lot of times we make decisions based on the best information we have instinctually. Um, for a number of years, I've taught a, a decision-making class and we always use weighted ranking. 
And it was my favorite section to talk about because in weighted ranking, there is an instinctual ranking that you put some. So you have an instinct on something, whether you like McDonald's or Chick-fil-A or Burger King, it's you have an instinct on what you like. And I think when you have more data, you can move beyond your instinctual decision making and move to um, what we call them from from instinctual ranking. We go to weight, uh, paired ranking and then you kind of compare. Why do you like Burger King over McDonald's? Why do you like McDonald's over Taco Bell? Why do you like this one over Chick-fil-A? And then you kind of create these 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 quantitative scores, but you also discover these qualitative terms. Um, I like this because it's the great customer service. I like it because my fries are always hot. I like it because, you know, whatever the case may be, I've never had food poisoning from there or whatever your, 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 your rankings are. And then by the time you get to the weighted ranking of putting scores and numbers and data on things, you find out many times that what your instincts are, there are better options out there if you really take and listen and look to the data, not only the data of why you've selected something, but also listening to customers, listening to the consumer. I think data is one of those things that has made businesses shift again from being um, bottom line driven to consumer listening driven. At least, at least I know that from the marketing standpoint and even from a lot of entrepreneurial people who I know who have gone in entrepreneurial endeavors, they're really taking the time to listen to customers now because before there may have been loyalty in things. People they, people drink Coke because it's Coke and they will always be loyal to Coke. But the reality is with the new generation, Generation Z, they have no loyalty. Their loyalty is to themselves and to their pocketbook. So it's no surprise that Walmart soda may outsell Coke in the future because people are loyal to it's cheaper and it tastes about the same. I'm not going to give Coke another dollar just because. And I think when consumers and, and big businesses and colleges and institutions, we take that in consideration that they're not just coming to Louisville because it's Louisville anymore. They're not just coming to Ohio State because it's, there's got to be something else that drives it. I think that's when our practices get better. I think that's when our degrees get better. And honestly, I think that's even when our teaching gets better. You make a lot of great points in what you just said there. And um, it, it is a kind of a new age where uh, if you just look at um, media, for instance, not not this new generation, they're not going to buy the New York Times just because it's the New York Times or they're not going to read an article because it's hidden behind a paywall. Or uh, I was listening to a great interview over the weekend about, um, I believe it was the, the former... CEO of um, a big cable company. I'll just say that so I don't get it wrong. And uh, putting together this package, and that's all changing now because if you look at, we've got Netflix, Netflix, Hulu, Disney, um, yep. Amazon Prime. I mean, Amazon Prime is a, they can just walk into an industry they're not familiar with and drop seven trillion dollars, seven seven billion dollars, excuse me, on creating new content. And, right. Uh, and outspend everybody but Netflix. And so they can come yep. in there and do that. And so those things are changing and the, the loyalty to a brand is not gonna be important. And if you look at education, um, there's, I won't call them knockoffs, but if there's a group that's, Math Lab for instance, who's providing 80% of the quality for 20% of the price, well, that's, that's usually a pretty good deal. You're talking about loyalty to your pocketbook and it, it may not be driven by people with um, 
a lot of journal publications and uh, a team of doctorates, but it may be pretty good anyway. And so, and for, yep. for half the price, then people are going to sign up for that. So I think we really have to, to relook at the way we're doing things and in higher ed and across, across the business world. So yeah, yeah great point. Well, so what, so what made you want to be an educator, Sean? Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? I knew at the age of 12. I actually knew before that, but I, I started writing in books. Like, you know, when you're writing in, you know, uh, your little, you know, when you have to write books in the second, third, fourth, fifth grade. I, I mean, I always write about wanting to be a professor. At the time, I wanted to be a law professor at the University of Notre Dame because Notre Dame was my favorite collegiate football program. And I just knew that I was going to be a lawyer because people always said I like to argue. And so I kind of knew what I wanted to be from a very young age. Um, and as I got older, I, I kept it in mind, didn't veer too far off track, but just lived my own life a little bit in the process. But, uh, I knew, I knew from, I guess, you know, I knew from a kid what I wanted to be. And, um, I've had fun on the journey to, to getting all the way here. Oh, great. I thought maybe you were going to say it's because they, they always dress nice and sit around the meetings and drink coffee, but. Uh, no, it's there's really something to being an educator that the, there's not a lot of professions where you you've got the opportunity to really make a difference in people's life by inspiring them and um, helping them to grow beyond what they were before. And yeah, I think it's kind of to our earlier comments, um, it's a tremendous responsibility as well. Uh, yeah. To to these people are kind of trusting you with look, I I'm looking to you as someone that can help grow and develop me into the person I want to become someday and give back to my community in terms of my skills and abilities. And, um, they believe that they believe in you that you can take them there. And it's, it's a little bit of a heavy responsibility there. And back to the earlier point, it's not something that we have to do alone either. There's a team of educators and team of people that can, um, can help with that as well. So, but I think what also helped me was not only knowing what I wanted to be, but having great teachers along the way. I remember my kindergarten teacher, Miss Abraham, a second grade teacher, Miss Gaines, my fifth grade teacher, Miss Hedges. You know, I remember, you know, my middle school teachers. I remember my high school teachers, like the, the ones at least that had the most impact on me. Like I, I kind of do remember all of my teachers, but I definitely remember the ones that I had the most impact on me. And for a long time, I thought I wanted to be a K through 12. But then the, the funny thing happened though, when I got to college, I didn't have a professor per se that had a big impact on me, except for Dr. Lewis Stolman, who was a religion professor at the University of Finley. And I just like, this is what I, this, this is where I want to take my educational pursuit. Huh. Like, cause I didn't have that, like I did have Dr. Stolman, but outside of Dr. Stolman, I don't remember, I don't remember very many college professors that I had that made me want to do something. Um, but then as I got towards the end of my career, I, I ran into Dr. Brenda Jones, um, I ran into uh, Dr. Ray Forbes, and I was like, yeah, these people are who exactly who I want to be like, you know, and those, that's when I knew, when I got to maybe my graduate school, that's, and then, and that's why I met like Dr. Dr. Jones and Dr. Forbes and, 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 and you know, who else did I meet? So many others, but like in, in, at the graduate level, that's when I met the professors. I felt like, yeah, this is what I, this is, I know what I want to do. So it helped, but I knew, but from that undergrad, yeah, I didn't run into too, too many. Well, it's, yeah. And it sometimes it just takes, 
the a person to believe in you and to believe in someone and yeah. it helps them to you know to aspire to be something else um so whenever you um whenever you think about trends in industry over the next 10 years so whether that's uh, whether it's academia or whether it's uh, students in the organizational leadership and learning program are from a every industry and just a, a wide variety of backgrounds so don't feel like you have to get too specific but uh, in, mm -hmm. in 10 years what do you see changing in the world and what's a good way to prepare yourself to be relevant in a, in a new marketplace in 10 years you know I, I firmly believe in being an entrepreneurial um, or entrepreneurial just kind of depends on where you want to go um, but I think with that you're going to have to understand the digital landscape um, and I think if you don't um I don't know what I don't know how you can best serve your customer. And that and that doesn't mean you have to be like this this analytics guru, but I think you need to at least know how to like I knew gr growing up the old school way was you need to learn how to read a P&L sheet, right? You need to know how to, you know, look at a, you know, cash flow analysis. Well, I think now if you don't understand how to read the analytics and those algorithms connected to what you do, I don't know if your business, whether it be HR, whether it be, or what function of business, HR, um, talent management, learning and development, um, human resources, fundraising, doesn't matter. I think you're, it's it's all gonna be for naught if you don't understand the analytics of who you reach, how you reach your market audience, your target audience. Um, I think it's gonna be a, an uphill battle. It can be done, um, but I think it's gonna be a, a very, strange uphill battle for you and, and to be able to communicate those things i, I see a lot of uh, papers or reports or project documents specifically that just says you know we want to uh, we ask for a communication plan so well we want to keep them updated regularly and we want to uh, make sure everybody's in the loop and i ask well, well what does that mean how many meetings do you want to have a, a week or a day or you know, that's a lot different than saying you know, i'd like to lose some weight to uh, I'm going to weigh 175 pounds by December 31st at 5 p.m. in the College of Education and Human Development <laughs> second floor scale. That, that's that's a lot more specific. Right. So we can all show up there and find out if you're going to meet it or not. And um, yes. if we, uh, and the same as leading teams, if I say, well, we're going to not not only keep uh, keep you in the loop and make sure you feel informed, but we're going to have a a town hall meeting uh, the first Tuesday of every month at lunch, and we're going to uh have put out emails every tuesday afternoon by the end of the day uh, et cetera, et cetera. so i think you get the point of what i'm saying there but not only um the the data and the analytics but just speaking in terms of specifics whether they're goals or leading a team and um and then using the the analytics and data that you have at your disposal to make sure that we are going because as i mean they used to say this in uh, w edwards dimming uh, after World War II, he would say what gets measured uh, gets managed and what, what you yep. you can inspect what you can expect what you inspect. That's another one that I like. And so <laughs> that, that idea of just keeping track of things to give people an idea uh, to know if we won or lost. It'd be like, a, like oh, the Carolina Panthers and the New Orleans Saints were playing and they didn't have a scoreboard. We'd probably lose interest. So. <laughs> really yeah. quick yeah really tried so well just let's let's have some fun questions here for a little bit as we start to wrap up uh, if you could sure. sit down for any hour with a person dead or alive uh, who would it be and why 
that's a great question. Um, if I could sit down with any person, dead or alive, who would it be? There's too many, but I think one that I think that um, I would sit down with Aristotle. Um, just a Greek philosopher, really wise, really smart, did some really strange things to, you know, or, you know, it's rumored to have done some really strange things to improve his speech, you know, like put rocks in his mouth to speak over the oceans. Like, I, I just think I would sit down with someone like Eric and be like, did you really do that? <laughs> I mean, like, is that, is that a rumor or is that true? Or, you know, understanding his concept of Arete and excellence and all you do and it embodying you, you know, what where, what do you mean by that? And what was, what drove you to come, you know, to come to those conclusions? So I think Aristotle would probably be, you know, the first. And if, if, if Aristotle was unavailable, then I would probably, the next would probably be Marcus Aurelius. Well, you're going way back to some folks. That's good. <laughs> That's I, I like that. That's a couple too strong names there, and uh, you know there was a book called it was one of the most popular books behind the the Western Bible, but Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, and uh, he had a practice mm-hmm. where he put together it was like a meditation or a visualization where he would put his favorite people from history, and um, imagine they were came into the room, sit down around the table, and he was sitting there with his eyes closed, and he would ask him questions like Napoleon, how do you you know, for grand thinking, how, how do you, can you tell me a little bit about that? Thomas Edison and uh, other inventors and other uh, leaders throughout history. And he would imagine he was having a conversation there, but it's, he knew that from studying the lives of great people and trying to imagine right. how would Napoleon act in this, in a situation like this. And um, so that's a, that's a good question. And maybe that's a practice that would be worthwhile to use. And, and uh, it is fun to, study biographies of people i saw uh, i watched on a and e one time there was um, a biography of sam walton and believe it or not walmart started with one store that's it <laughs> yeah so and can't go anywhere without seeing one. that's right that's right so well um what what are some things so this is a, a little bit of an intense question but perhaps a good way to to end our conversation here so when your life's ended, what are the three things or, or one thing or two things that you hope people will say about you uh, at the end of your life? Yeah, I think I would hope that they would say, here lies a great teacher, right? I taught us a lot. And, you know, my kids say the same thing, you know, and so I, I wouldn't feel bad. I don't, I don't think if my tombstone didn't say he was a great dad and a great teacher, if they just said I was a great teacher. I think my kids would would probably be the ones to put that out there. And so um, I'm okay with that. And um, I've kind of made that my life, calling my life. And I get excited about what I do every day. And I students, I love teaching my kids. I love learning from my students and from my kids, someone who's willing to share with me. So if on my tombstone, they realize a great teacher, you know, I'd be really content with that. That's great. I, I think I told you as we were talking about this ahead of time that I hope they say, well, that Dr. McCart lived a long time. It, this, that's an old-looking corpse. He really, really made a lot. No, that's. Uh, I, I, I like what you said there about how because if, if you were a great teacher, it means you've inspired and made a difference in people. Um, there's another saying that I like where uh, if you're thinking for 
the day you'll just pick a fruit if you're thinking for 20 years then uh, plant a tree but if you're thinking for 100 years educate the people and uh, kind of an old chinese right. leadership uh mm-hmm. proverb or saying there and um another one that i like that i think it, it gets a little bit in the uh kind of the realm of uh deep and and fe- give you the feels but they say that uh, anybody can count the number of seeds in an apple but nobody knows the number of apples in a seed and, and i think i think that's a lot Correct. of what teachers do is they really you, know, you don't really know you may see 20 in the lecture hall but you don't know how many are going to go out and, and make a difference in the world and take that information back and inspire people in their in their life and at their organization so uh, teaching is is a high calling and um, i'm i'm glad to hear you're uh, as honored as i am to get to do this on a regular basis so Well, Dr. Owens, is there anything else that that you could uh, we can end with today? Any other thoughts you have on uh, leadership, on teaching, on the University of Louisville? Just uh, there's an opportunity for you to just freestyle and bebop and scat and tell us what uh, anything else you didn't get to cover today. No, I think we covered it all. And like I said, I'm excited to grow this. I'm excited to grow the program. I'm excited to for the podcast. I'm excited for to really just take this to a whole new level. Um, and and I think we have a great team, and so I'm excited to work with the team and, and expose the team to the podcast and and you know all our partners and, and alumni and you know just I'm interested to hear hear everyone's story because I think everyone's story, like you said, it's it's that one seed, but we don't know the impact those seeds have, and so I think I'm just really excited about that. Just really, you know, just learning more from everybody that so that we can really, you know, again. We really can make our mark in the OLL program, and so yeah, I think this is one way we're going to do it. And uh, I'm really excited about what's to come. Well, it's um, yeah, it's great, great to have you on board here, and I'm I'm glad to be a part of the team as well. And it's it really is in the it's it's the business of academia, but it's really in the business of uh, fulfilling dreams and helping people with that bucket list. Whenever they've wanted to have that bachelor's degree, they've thought about it their whole life. And, average age of our students is uh, around 38 and so they're able to life got in the way maybe the first time or their careers took off in another direction but now it's time to come back and finish that degree and so we are uh, we're, we're in the teaching business but we're also in the dreams of bucket list business and so um, it, it's great to to see that whenever the perseverance pays off and uh, people are able to to complete that degree and, and check that off their list so Definitely. Well, thank you so much for your time here. And um, thanks to our listeners for tuning in. It was really great to, to talk about this. I certainly learned some things and I hope they did too.